Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Reverend Steve Andrews. Today we continue the book of Judges with chapter 4. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh after Ehud died. And Yahweh sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Hereshath Hagoim. Then the people of Israel cried out to Yahweh for help, for he had nine hundred chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for twenty years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not Yahweh the God of Israel commanded you? Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking ten thousand from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for Yahweh will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And ten thousand men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. Now Haber, the Kenite, had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zenanim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out his chariots, nine hundred chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him, from Herosheth Hagoim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which Yahweh has given Sisera into your hand. Does not Yahweh go out before you? So Barak went to down from Mount Tabor with ten thousand men following him, and Yahweh routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Herosheth Hagoim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Haber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Haber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and, came, and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say, No. But Jael, the wife of Haber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went in to her tent, and there lay Sisera dead, with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day God subdued Jabin the king of Canaan before the people of Israel, and the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin the king of Canaan, 
until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. This is the word of the Lord. I mentioned yesterday that chapter 3 might be a favorite of boys, chapter 4 probably a favorite of girls, and oftentimes chapter 4's account is going to be included in a lot of children's Bibles. When you have to select limited text to fill a children's Bible with, Deborah is a favorite used. Part of that is going to be just the idea of children's Bibles being read by girls and seeking to give girls uh, biblical figures that they can also look up to. Uh, This instance, though, really isn't one of those, and I'm going to share that as we go through the book. It's not that Deborah shouldn't, not, not to put any blame on Deborah, that's not the goal. That's not the point of this story, though, either. So Deborah is going to be one of the judges of Israel. Now, you might even see it in your own Bibles. The, the subtitle for most of these judges is going to just be the name of the judge, right? We had Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar. The subtitle over chapter 4 in most of the English Bibles, at least the ESV one I'm, I'm seeing now, Deborah and Barak. There's something already noted there for you. Now, one of the things you could do with a child is to have them share with you what this judge's cycle looks like. I've mentioned it in chapter 1 and chapter 3, the cycle of sin. Israel sins against God, rebels against him, and so he allows oppression to overcome them. And then they repent, they call out for help, the Lord sends a judge, a military deliverer, And then after that, they have peace for a while before finally, at some point in that peace, returning to their pagan worship and rejecting God again, which starts that, you know, that cycle over again. So see if your children can pick up on that cycle, if they can tell it to you or if they can draw it or, or, or however. Also have them count as you're going through this book of Judges. How many judges are there? Today... Deborah falls as the fourth judge over Israel. All right, so they have again done evil in the sight of Yahweh. After Ehud died, that was, again, the, the primary previous judge. Shamgar seems to have been after Ehud, but just minor enough that not going to get a lot of mention. And so now God sells them into the hand of the Canaanite king by the name of Jabin, who lives up in Hazor. Hazor is clear up north of the Sea of Canareth which we know better as the Sea of Galilee today when you're looking at a a map of the area. And his army commander, Sisera, who is going to be mentioned throughout the chapter, we don't know much about Sisera, just that he's the commander of the army, so a man of importance in this king's eyes. He lives in a place called Heresheth Hagoyim. And that, in Hebrew, Hagoyim, the nations, Heresheth's a little bit more debatable. It could mean a metal forge, so the metal forge of the nation where, where war weapons come from. Or it could mean like an engraving, an engraver, so the engraver of the nations. This is the place where those who destroy the rest of the earth, who carve their name into the rest of the earth, the rulers of the world, this is where they come from. That's basically what the name of this place indicates. And so here you have this great military king, well not king, sorry, military champion, leader who lives in this place and from this place he's going to bring out his army against God's people it's a pretty potent picture right the people of Israel cry out to God they've repented for a time they cry out 
it's even interesting though in the English at least for he had 900 chariots part of the reason for the repentance is I mean it is the oppression right and it's the oppression because it's an enemy they can't overcome chariots often terrified Israel Um, they don't tend to have chariots of their own and it's a sign of military strength just like today I mean if you were an, an army that had you know maybe some swords but or some guns, and that was about all you had, and your enemy army had tanks. You're outclassed, right? You're outnumbered. You're outgunned. And so Jabin terrorizes, oppresses Israel uh, cruelly, right, for 20 years. That would be roughly 1236 B.C. to 1217 B.C. as we're tracking our way through the timeline here. Then we meet Deborah, the judge that the Lord is going to use here, judging Israel at that time, wife of Lapidoth, a name we certainly don't see anywhere else in God's word. So she has been used to sitting at a place in between Ramah and Bethel, which is going to be 50 miles south of where the battle is going to take place at the end of this chapter. Um, Ephraim, the hill country we've been looking at already, it's central Israel here, and the people would come to her for judgment. So they would come to her for help in matters of various kinds. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kadesh Naphtali. That's a a location five miles west of Lake Hola. If you're looking at the map, so you've got the Sea of Kinnereth or the Sea of Galilee near the top of the Jordan River. You'll notice that there is, however, another small lake above the Sea of Kinnereth that's also connected, and that is Lake Hola. So this is just five miles west of that. This is clear up to the northern edge of Israel. She sends for Barak, and she says to him, Has not Yahweh the God of Israel commanded you? This is a question then to discuss as a family. If God had already told him, why does she have to tell him? What, what was his response to God saying, do this? This is already the basic starting point for why I was saying what I did at the beginning. This is not so much about Deborah as it is about men. The failure of men. God calls men in scripture to be the heads of households. God calls men in scripture to be husbands who lead their wives. God calls men to be priests and or pastors or deacons or elders or whatever phrase you want to use even in the New Testament to lead his church as the spiritual father to, to do such things. And oftentimes in history, we see men fail. And at this point, the men of Israel are such cowards that instead of raising up a man to be judge because none of them did it, The Lord raised up two women in this text. It's not just Deborah. We're also going to see Jael, right? This is not, it's not anything against Deborah, but this is not the role of women that the Lord has created for his creation. This is the role of man. And Barak failed. The Lord called and summoned Barak to the task and Barak refused it. Deborah has to call him down and encourage him to go. And even at that, right, she says, and she reminds him of God's word to him that he was supposed to take 10,000 soldiers and go and fight against against Sisera at Mount Tabor, which is, again, that's going to be in that region uh, where we were just looking up north of the hill country of Ephraim. He didn't go. 
And now she reminds him of this command, and he still won't go. Look at what he says to her. If you will go with me, I will go. If not, I will not go. He has a direct command, right? She's even indicated he had a direct command from God to go and fight this man, and he refused. And now she tells him again, and he still is saying he's not going to go unless she goes with him. There is a a cowardly aspect in this text. This is humiliating. And Deborah is even going to acknowledge that in her response to him. She's going to say, this road is not going to lead to your glory. Yahweh will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And as you think of the text itself, right, as we read the text, Jael doesn't kill Sisera in an open battlefield. She doesn't overcome him in hand-to-hand combat. She kills the man in his sleep, right? There is no glory here for Barak. There is no military victory that gets credited to Barak. Because he was afraid. Because he did not trust the Lord in this thing. Deborah is labeled a prophetess. Um, It's a very rare phrase in scripture, Um, that word itself. We see it a few other times. So we will see it of Miriam in the Old Testament, Um, Exodus chapter 15, Numbers chapter 12, uh, make use of that. We see it again of a woman named Holda. The priest Hilkiah discovers the book of the law and he goes to King Josiah with it. Um, to inquire of the Lord, he goes to Holda, the prophetess, in Second Kings chapter 22. And Jeremiah and Zephaniah are alive at the time. Jeremiah is one of the major prophets. And ultimately, Holda is going to rebuke God's people through this. And then Isaiah, his wife is called a prophetess, uh, could simply be the husband-wife connection there that she is married to him. There are prophetesses in other religions, certainly, throughout the history of the world. Not uncommon. Uh, Priestesses, prophetesses. There was a prophetess in Nehemiah chapter 6, Noadiah, that was an enemy of God's people. And, And so it's just, it's a very limited thing. I'm spending so much time on it today with you because this is a text that the 21st century American Christian church likes to use to support women's ordination within the church. And again, it's just not what's here. I mean, Deborah is the only female judge, but she's judged because the men weren't doing it. We saw this in the history of our own LCMS uh, as women's right to vote kind of things was popular in the United States as culture. It started coming into the church, conversations around it, and a lot of women in the LCMS didn't want to vote. They were concerned that their ability to vote would actually make things worse for the family and worse for the household. The way that things essentially were working at the time was when there were matters in the church coming up for a voters' assembly, the husband would know the matter, he would bring the matter home to his wife, they would have a conversation, right, about what's going on at church. This is what families do. And the wife would share her opinion. Together, husband and wife would say, yeah, this is where we're at. This is how we'll vote. And so the husband would take that 
opinion, he'd go back to church with it. And whatever was said at that voters' assembly was going to have a really tough time swaying him because he and his wife were already on the same page. It would be hard for him to change that vote. And so the women actually thought they had more say before, in that regard at least. But also there was the concern that when this happened, if this took place, that the, the men would fall back that the men would actually stop, and they've seen it happen, right? Over the last couple of generations, Christian churches, Lutheran included, are primarily women. Where did the faith of our men go? Why aren't they leading? Why aren't they leading in their churches? Why aren't they leading in their families? Where have they gone? That is a giant challenge facing this generation and well, these generations that are currently living in this world and in this culture right now. And again, Deborah recognizes that shame in verse 9. It is not his glory. It is a shame to him that this glory is taken and given to another. So then we get to the rest of the text here, the rest of the story, that we have just a random mention of Haber the Kenite, who's living up north by Lake Hola. That's where Kadesh is. He's from the descendants of Moses' father-in-law, Hobab, which is like the third name I think we have for him in Scripture, uh, Jethro, uh, Ruel, Hobab, um, Zipporah's father, right, uh, the priest of Midian. And so that's just mentioned and then left for a moment because we're going to come back to him in the second paragraph here. But first we learn, Sisera learns that the battle's about to play, take place. I mean, Mount Tabor's east of the Kashan River. The Kashan River flows into the Mediterranean Sea, really at the point due west from the Sea of Canareth. Battle's coming. Sisera learns Barak is there. Sisera goes out to meet him. They go into battle. Deborah has to remind Barak that the Lord is going with him, right? Does not Yahweh go out before you? He has given Sisera into your hand. Verse 15, Yahweh routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army. They were afraid. They were terrified. They couldn't do it on their own. He didn't even want to go. Yahweh won the fight. That's been the thing the whole time, right? All the way through the history of Israel, God fights for them. This will not be any more clear than when we get to chapter 7 here in a couple of days and what God does with Gideon, one of the other judges here. Sisera flees. Barak wipes out the entire army, Sisera flees, and runs into Jael, the wife of Heber. So I said said we'd come back to Heber, Heber, uh, the Kenite. And Heber's house is at peace with Jabin. So Sisera assumes that Jael will be safe for him to be with her. He goes in to her, into her tent. She covers him, right? She hides him. She conceals him. He asks for water because he's thirsty. He's exhausted from fleeing. And she doesn't just give him water. She offers him milk, right? Hospitality there. This is actually Romans 12, uh, perhaps a reference point here, that when your enemy is hungry, feed him. When he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In so doing, you will be heaping burning coals on his head. Jael is doing something similar to that here. She is luring him into this trap herself, right? She's taking care of him. She's hiding him. And he feels comfortable to fall asleep. But the Lord has delivered him into her hand. And while he sleeps, she sneaks up on him quietly, softly, and she kills him. 
She takes a spike, a tent peg, to hold a tent down, right, the corner of a tent, and a hammer, and she drives it through his head. She meets Barack on the road, brings him in, tells him this is Sisera. He sees his enemy dead. That's it. It's over. But on that day, God subdued the entire nation, right? He had subdued the king, not just his commander, but when you overcome the army, what's the king got left? And so we see that they press harder against Jabin until they destroy Jabin, king of Canaan. So as a whole, I'm not saying this can't be a fun story for girls too. I'm not saying that we shouldn't encourage our women in the church, but we should encourage them in the things that the Lord gives them. And he gives different gifts, and this is good. Men and women are not the same. This is good. So we can use this text. We can talk about this text. But I think the primary point that comes out of it as we talk to our children is actually to encourage our sons to be men who trust in the Lord and who are willing to lead their family to know Christ in all things.